Hello, this is Karen from San Francisco. And this is Alex from Los Angeles. And welcome to Movies That Shaped Us, a journey of self-discovery through a shared love of film. We are two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds where we're both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love. In each episode, we'll cover a topic around important people, places, events, and moments in our lives, and then explore it through three of our favorite movies. We hope you find these movies and topics fun and revelatory to you, just like they've been to us. And Karan, why don't you tell the listeners what we're talking about today? All right. So today we are talking about the city that I live in, San Francisco. So it's our, it's the movies that shaped our views of San Francisco episode. So nice. I've you know, been here for, I want to say now, 10 years, sort of on and off. Um, and in many ways, I consider San Francisco home now, even though I didn't grow up here. So mm-hmm. very excited to kind of talk about the city and talk about all the movies that, you know, connect us to the city. But I guess from a framework standpoint, like, as always, this has really been about for me, thinking, what does this city mean to me? How has it impacted my life in different ways and how I've wrestled with that, but also how this city has brought me so much joy and, mm-hmm. and, and all the different developments of my life. And that's really what this episode is, is, is about, at least for me, uh, through the lens of movies, obviously. Um, but in general, you know, like I said, this place is home. Uh, this is where I have my community. This is also the place that, you know, I've wrestled with the most, A, mm-hmm. partly because of the time I've been here in my life, which is kind of, you know, post-grad school, kind of early adult years, I should say. But then also a city that constantly goes, continues to go through a ton of change, mm-hmm. which I guess is true for most cities, but it sort of feels to me that San Francisco is one of those places which probably is on that evolution clip at a much faster rate than a lot of other cities, at least that I've yeah. been associated with. So I think that's that will show up as a big theme uh, in the movies uh, that I've picked. Uh, but how about you, Alex? What's your relationship with San Francisco been? Yeah, one question actually I have for you before I jump into my relationship. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you feel SF is home. I know you moved around a lot as a child in India. Mm-hmm. Is San Francisco the city you've lived in the longest in terms of years in your life? Or is there a place where you spent more time? Just just actually curious. Yeah, it's funny. If you're talking about number of years spent in a continuous way, LA would be that place where I spend the most num- number of years in a con- in a continuously. But in aggregate, probably San Francisco yeah. now is 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 the place where I spend the more most number of years. Wow, yeah, that's uh, it's just always interesting because I think about that a lot too. Of the place I've spent the most aggregate years in, yeah. Um, for me, it's Los Angeles, and for you, it's San Francisco. I think that's pretty pretty cool, and then really fun then to hear your thoughts through, through the films that we're going to talk about today. But in terms of my relationship to the city, um, I, you know, grew up on the East coast. So I was always aware of San Francisco had definitely a big, um, idea in my mind of what the city was, uh, especially through the lens of the sixties and the summer of love and what San Francisco meant culturally in the United States, uh, was definitely something mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, was through all, you know, movies and TV and, and music and everything. So I definitely had that uh, idea in my mind, visited for the first time uh, growing up on a family vacation, um, liked it. I thought it was really cool. 
and then actually lived there for three months. So briefly um, in, in lower hate in city during mm. a period of time when I worked at an internship in Emeryville. So I lived in the city for three months and then commuted across the Bay to go to Emeryville. Um, so that was an experience there of actually living in the city and seeing what it was, what it was like, definitely the differences from what I had in my head from what was on screen, very different than what I expected um, in good and bad ways. And then have visited there, you know, visited you um, before mm-hmm. there a couple of times and just been there as a tourist, been there for work. So I've definitely been to San Francisco a lot uh, of times and uh, have a lot of uh, views of it. Um, I definitely echo what you said in terms of a city of change. I, I find it more around the city that is kind of a paradox to me in terms of how to figure, because not only is it changing, it seems to be a lot of contradicting itself in, in different phases as mm-hmm. it's evolving. It doesn't seem to me like a clear trajectory of how it's growing or what it kind of uh, becomes um, like some other cities. New York has changed a lot, but in a very um, extreme direction in, in one direction. I think San Francisco still kind of goes back and forth a lot of things. So it was, it was fun coming up with this list, I think. Uh, and um, really, again, as someone who spent a lot more time than, than me, I'm really curious about your thoughts and how your films have uh, uh, shaped your views. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so with that, do you want to tell us what your movie number three is? Sure. Yeah, I'll kick it off. Um, my number three movie for movies that shaped my view of San Francisco is the 2008 film Milk. This is directed by Gus Van Sant, starring Sean Penn, Josh Brolin, Emile Hirsch. The plot summary, the story of Harvey Milk and his struggles as an American gay activist who fought for gay rights and became California's first openly gay elected official. So this film to me and, and why I put it on the list is, you know, San Francisco, like I mentioned earlier, had, has always been a view uh, in my mind of a city that is about, um, you know, activism and social progress and change. And I think this, again, mm-hmm. came a lot through what the city was known for in the, in the 60s as a place of the hippie movement and people really trying to progress for different types of rights. Um, and this film to me really represents that uh, and in, in Harvey Milk's story. So, you know, Milk actually, as they talk about in the film, he grew up on the East Coast and came to San Francisco specifically because of he was escaping a lot of the discrimination as a gay man that he faced. Um, you know, there's a montage in the opening credits of mm-hmm. all the, the issues around the country of, uh, you know, people oppressing uh, gay citizens and not you know, and violently attacking them. And this was the environment that Milk, I think, was growing up in on the East Coast. And he saw San Francisco as a place even, I think, said in the film, like a place where you kind of drop out and find love and can sort of be yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why he went there. And I definitely feel the city... Um, still represents that. I mean, whether it lives up to that or not is a question, but it definitely represents that, I think, culturally as a place that is, you know, you can be yourself. And and Milk definitely demonstrates that, right? He's very brash, self-assured, outspoken. Um, he doesn't he doesn't hide who he is when he's in San Francisco. Um, he, you know, gets his business. And in, when he first is greeted by someone in the neighborhood, they're like, oh, you're, you're a gay man. Like, we're not going to welcome you here. But he doesn't shy away from that. He's like, no, I'm going to actually then organize businesses of people that don't mind uh, what your sexuality is. So he really fights for his own, his own rights um, as a, as a gay man. And I think that again, represents the activism spirit that, that I definitely get from San Francisco. Um, But at the same time, you know, the, the movie and just like Milk's life does end tragically, he does get assassinated. Um, And it's not necessarily, there's a lot of complications that I think even today, they don't really know motives in terms of the assassination. But I think, again, this sort of represents that while San Francisco is a place where they, you know, activists like Milk were pushing for change, 
there is still that reactionary force against it where you're, you still are up against obstacles. Um, and obviously again, he unfortunately was assassinated. Um, so the, the thing I think though, that this movie does well also is at the very end, it does show that his activism and even his, in his death was shown as a, you know, a, a spark that sort of pushed the gay rights movement even further uh, mm -hmm. elsewhere in the country. So it's like San Francisco is looked upon as not only a place where the activists go, but they can be themselves. They can uh, take a political stand. They can have successful victories. He was actually elected um, into San Francisco city government and then did a very good job of pushing his agenda within that government against many different forces, including um, other more establishment gay men who didn't want to rock the boat in this way, but he really wanted to fight for his convictions. And all this fighting, even though he was not successful because he unfortunately was assassinated, that in, a, in the long run, he sparked a movement. Um, and at the end of that film, I think is very powerful and really shows that. And I do still view San Francisco as a city that can be the light that can spark a lot of you know social change throughout the country in, in the United States. Um, and just a fantastic film as well. I think performances across the board, just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, uh, Sean Penn definitely deserved this, this Oscar win for this performance. Oh, Josh Brolin is also just amazing um, and it's yeah, very yeah, troubled yeah. character as a rival and then the person who ends up assassinating him, but it's not a very, uh, it's a very complex character and his reasons for things I think are not super cut and dry. Um, and really Gus Van Sant, I just think does an excellent job of not making this film, you know, too, uh, it's not really an issue movie, but it is, um, it's, it's, he, he, uses the right parts of Harvey Milk's life, I think, to keep the story interesting, but not kind of beat you over the head with a message, but just make an incredibly inspiring film uh, that I just really, uh, really, really enjoy. And, and for me, I think the film represents that activism that that I feel is in within San Francisco. Yeah, great pick. Um, agree with everything you said. I was so happy to revisit this. I've watched this movie a couple of times before. Mm -hmm. And every time... I think this might be one of the best quote-unquote biopics, at least yeah. that come to my mind, you know, of recent years or maybe any any length of time. And it's for the reasons that you talked about that you're not only transported in this person's life, but I love that it's not a cradle-to-grave situation. Yes. I love that it's very much his story through the through what he stands for, through the mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's also an ensemble, which often biopics are not. Like you really get a sense of all the other people who are in that little photo shop, yeah. photo space shop, uh, who are kind of running this whole thing. What are they up to? What do they really stand for? Uh, the people that he's in relationship with, uh, mm -hmm. James Franco's character, yeah. Luna's character. Like you uh -huh. really see kind of a spectrum of also gay life depicted, you know, without holding back anything. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's done in a way that feels very interesting. The pacing of the movie is great. Uh, yeah, you sort of feel transported. Like I watched this movie, of, I think I was living here when this movie came out. So I remember, you know, just being really moved and, enraged and roused by the first time I watched this movie it's one of the Oscar win speeches not Sean Penn's which I totally agree very well deserved but the screenwriter Justin oh. Lannis Black oh man yeah I, I it's one of the moments where I don't think I've teared up that you know that much on anyone winning an award I mean yeah. it's just an award but it really meant something to for this movie to be made the way it was made and then for it to be recognized and for 
a young guy like Justin Dustin Lance Black to kind of stand up there and share his own story and the struggle that he'd had and then to pour himself in the making of this movie it's such a brilliant script uh so yeah it's it's one of those things that doesn't happen very often in storytelling and i think it's like the perfect alchemy of all of it comes together um and the legacy lives on you know mm-hmm. um and you also see the messiness i guess the last thing i would say you also see the messiness of activism in yes. this movie like it's yes. not aggrandized that oh just cuz we are fighting for something that we believe is right you know everything is all going to be neatly you know moving in a linear fashion it's very messy yes. uh, there's steps there's setbacks there are people who don't have their heart in the right place there are people who are still learning there are people who are reluctant who don't want to be a part of it mm-hmm. there are people who are really in it but yet you can question their motives you know there's all sorts of things that happen with movements and this is very true even today you know in san francisco where there's sort of a it's almost like a joke in san francisco that oh yeah you hear something on a sunday morning and people are like oh it must be a protest and oh. then you know they're <laughs> off to brunch after that so right right nope like yeah in the city uh, and and you see that kind of the messiness of it all so yeah love this movie uh, so inspired by what harvey milk did and was was very happy to revisit it. Yeah, no, I, I think you raise a lot of great points too about just the politics. Look at this movie through a political lens because I, I do think it does cover the, yeah, the messiness and the fact that it's not, um, yeah, you can be an idealist, but you do have to go into this, or not you have to. He went chose to go into the system and use the system as advantage as you, you do still have to wheel and deal. You do have to work with people that aren't aligned on every single ideology. As long as you're not compromising your, your specific ideology, there's other things you can compromise on and work with within the system to eventually, you know, get some, some change. And sometimes those are hard decisions, but I think what this movie does and milk did um, is never compromise on his main goal of, of making sure that uh, the, that gay people had more rights or equal rights but was able to work with other people and compromise on other things and just find out what is the path to get there. And that is my goal. And I will work hard to get it done no matter what I have to do and I have to be, do some, you know, shady things or whatever, as long as the ends kind of justify the little bit of means of politics, because politics are going to be messy. So I think and that's it's also uh, very practical though. Totally. Right? Very practical. Well, his yep. entire agenda is actually about small businesses mm-hmm. doing well, people mm-hmm. standing up for themselves and, it's like it's almost like bad business to discriminate against anybody right. because you're going to lose out on all those people which right. is a baseline message that can resonate with everybody and anybody which feels very genuine to me as opposed to you know a quote unquote agenda because it's it's just so human like we are all mm-hmm. especially in this country you're in a capitalist country exactly. so it's right, the right. right message first of all but then going back to the messiness he's not all you know away from controversy either like his whole push for people to come out of the closet oh right exactly very it's, yeah it's problematic it's very controversial uh-huh. quite problematic in many ways but you also see why that mattered so much because mm-hmm. what he was fighting for was that if everybody knows in their community in their neighborhoods the people that they interact with somebody who is who is gay it automatically humanizes this quote unquote issue right. as opposed to what is being touted that these people are you know perverse and they're going to ruin mm-hmm. the society and so it was very important to counter that mm-hmm. with the reality and humanity of these people who are just like anybody else you know right. so but at the same time 
it's a pretty controversial stance. So yep. Yep. yeah, you know, it, it sort of made me want to get deeper into his life. I know there's a great Oscar winning documentary yes. out years yes. ago, which I have not seen. Life and Times of Harvey Milk. It's exactly. definitely so worth seeing. Yeah. I want to see that. And, and, and yeah, I don't know. Made me, made me feel proud of living in the city. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that is what I got away from the movie too, of San Francisco is this spark that can light change yeah. for good. Um, great. Uh, so why don't we move on to your number three? Yeah. Um, speaking of spark that can light change uh, and that change can sometimes, you know, be for the good and sometimes be not for the good. It's messy once again. Right. So um, my number three is uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco, a movie from 2019, directed by Joe Talbot, starring Jimmy Fails and Jonathan Majors. Uh, quick logline, a young man searches for home in the changing city that seems to have left him behind. So I put this movie on my list to sort of capture what we were just saying, even in Milk, and sort of in our general conversation about San Francisco, about the changing nature of San Francisco. I think this movie really captures that. Uh, obviously, the movie is about you know, gentrification and what is happening to people who are less fortunate, uh, mm -hmm. usually minorities. Mm -hmm. But at the heart of it, I think this movie is really represents the, the, the dichotomy of wealth, innovation, and power, which this city represents alongside homelessness and helplessness. These two things coexist in this place, which mm -hmm. is heartbreaking, but also quite fascinating, actually. Um, and as somebody, you know, who's moved his whole life, uh, growing up in India, different parts of the country there, but then also in this country, to me, this whole idea of what is home and how much do you fight for it really resonates because that's what this is really about in this movie it's about bigger ideas and right. issues of course that are you know political about power and, and homelessness and and all of that but at the heart of it this movie is about home and what do you consider as home what will you do what lens would you go to to kind of preserve that and find that uh, and I think that that thread really resonates with me. Um, this, this movie is also about friendship. Uh, these two guys, I've not seen a relationship like that depicted on screen ever. Mm -hmm. uh, the visuals of those two on a skateboard, just gliding through the streets of San Francisco. There's something about that image and specifically to black men. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never seen that in my life. I The moment I saw that in the trailer, right when that just dropped years ago, it it sort of struck me right then and then watching this movie in the theater for the first time. Just It just moves me so much to see two guys who are straight, mm -hmm. uh, but are in this kind of friendship and relationship. And there's like actual true love and true longing between the two of them, uh, which is just so, so beautiful. Uh, but bringing it back to San Francisco, I think this movie is also about this, this divide between art and commerce, like sometimes in very literal ways where Jonathan Major's character actually is a sketch artist. He's a playwright in his own way. Uh, and that is sort of butting against 
this house that they think is theirs mm -hmm. and they're squatting in there while they are dealing with the richy rich they're dealing with right. the realtors and all of these people so the whole like idea of art versus commerce diy versus big money power it's sort of butting heads against each other at all levels in this movie um it's gorgeously shot uh it's like a great kind of you know love letter to san francisco and that that's the part that's so beautiful to me about this movie is that this movie could be viewed at, in a very dark light that all is bad. Right, and, right, right. But I think there's something about the way the movie is shot and in the sweetness of their relationship that you get like a pretty strong light of hope uh, throughout this movie, even when dark things are happening just because the way it's shot. And I, and that really mirrors my own experience with San Francisco. Like, I've often gotten to a place in my head where I get so, I don't know, caught up with, with the changes that are happening that may not be for the good. And this feeling so helpless about homelessness and sometimes even being feeling disgusted about how much money there is all around us mm -hmm. while no one seems to know what to do with this problem. And I've honestly, I've left the city when I've come to a point where I just can't really deal with that that feeling. Mm -hmm. But then there's something about the light of the city that always pulls me back. And I'm always happy to be back here. Maybe a little bit more evolved, hopefully, mm -hmm. uh, at least in my perspective of how I view this, because ultimately this is just you know, a changing ball of yarn that is going to be messy in terms of how it unfolds. Sometimes it feels like, you know, the yarn is kind of coming together, but sometimes it feels like it's all over the place. And that's just how the city is. But hopefully through it, we are, through these changes, we are moving towards a place that feels like it, it is in the right direction. Mm -hmm. There are days when I don't feel that, but most days I do feel that uh, having lived in this city. I don't think this movie is a perfect movie. It's very much a first feature effort. And you see that a movie mm -hmm. that's beautifully shot, beautifully acted, but has like a million ideas. Not all of them are fully seen through sometimes sort of drags and sometimes feel a little, feels a little bit pretentious as well. But having said all that, I think this movie is still very powerful and I'm very excited to see what this director does next if, if he hasn't already. Um, and then Jonathan Majors is, is sort of the breakout from this movie. Yeah. He has done many, many great things since, who's just so tender and, and brilliant in this movie. Uh, again, a character that I've not seen portrayed like this before. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's my number three, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Yeah, this is a, a great pick. I'd never seen this film before. I, I heard of it. Um, I think it actually premiered at Seattle Film Festival when we lived there. I remember mm. taking the bus down to work and seeing the marquee for this mo movie at a theater. Um, so, but 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 I had never seen it. And I really, uh, I thought it was very powerful. And, and one of those films where you watch it, you know, it, touch, it touches on so many different things and it doesn't really provide answers. It's just sort of yeah. asking questions and interesting questions where I was thinking about this movie for days after I saw it um, mm -hmm. and uh, just about all the different things that it raises. But like for me, there's, there's two things that it really is the main themes that I kind of got from it are really about like, what is home? Like you said, and I think what this movie sort of portrays is the main character is thinking the home is something physical. It's an actual house. It's a physical place. But really, I think the movie 
towards the end, you get the sense of the, a home is a community and the community is the people in that place is what defines it. Those people can go other places and there, that can still be the home. You don't have to hold on to a physical house and like obsess over, Oh no, this is my home. Well, if every, if the community changes around you and you still live in that house, you know, weird analogy, but like the guy from up, the old man who the entire neighborhood's now these giant skyscrapers, he's stuck in this little house. He's not part of a community. That's not really a home for him. He's just yeah. living in a place. Um, and I, there's even a confrontation that the two friends get into at the end. He's like, get, stop obsessing over this house. This is not mm-hmm. a home. This is not yours, but it also, that doesn't mean anything, a physical thing. Um, I think, and I agree with that. Like a, a place is um, a community. And yes, communities can build cities and communities can be major forces in some period of time and then kind of fade away as other communities come in. That's just naturally the part of an evolving city that San Francisco surely is. Um, different immigrant communities come and go, um, different major you know, forces in, in the population kind of come and go. Uh, but that's every city is like that and, and trying to hold on to, oh, well, back in the day, you know, these people were here but the people are gone, but we're still, these last remaining folks are still trying to hold on to that. It's like, you know, that's, what is that really, what is that costing you? Um, and is it even worth at that point trying to push back against that change? Your The community is still there, just might not be physically located in the same place. Totally. Um, which, you know, is definitely something I think, uh, you know, we mentioned, or at least in the Milk Review, I was talking about San Francisco being a, uh, like a forerunner and at the edge of a lot of like positive things. Um, and I think also it can be viewed sometimes as the, the, the forerunner of a lot of negative things. I think the homelessness problem that you discussed is really across the entire country now. And maybe it started in San Francisco, California, Los Angeles, and we're kind of the, a peek into the future of where the rest of the country is going to be in 10 years. I think these are going to be issues that are be grappled with on every major city in the United States. You just happen to start, you know, in San Francisco and NLA first. Um, and the other line that I just really resonated with a lot was, um, when the main character is on a bus and then the two girls sort of, um, you know, mm-hmm. part of the, the gentrifiers, I guess. And they're like, oh, this place mm-hmm. sucks. I don't like it. Blah, blah, blah. And he says like, do you, do you love it here? And they're like, I don't know. I live here. And they're like, well, you, he says, you don't get to hate it unless you love it. Yeah. And I think that is definitely true. And a lot of like, if you, if you don't love a place, then you're not really a part of that community. And then yeah. at that point, like, what are you really hating on something that you don't love totally. is, is not, yeah, you don't get that right. And I, I definitely believe in that. I think that statement was really powerful that he made. And that's his journey in this entire, um, entire film. Like he does hate the city in a lot of ways, but he loves yeah, it too. And I think it. he loves it. And I think that is where you can hate something that you, you love a lot. And I think that totally. was really powerful. Um, also with all the, this, uh, the way that the movie kind of portrays the main character as someone who's not at home in his own city, there's constantly like a tour bus is going by and the new San Francisco population viewing them as like some sort of museum piece or mm-hmm. not part of the city anymore. Oh, you guys were, you know, Oh, just this old, like the previous community, but we're now the people that own the, not own the place. And just the way the film was able to capture that feeling of like, you're in a fishbowl as the, the, the former, um, uh, you know, you're a current resident, but you sort of feel like a former resident. I thought that was really interesting, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It does feel like a, you know, it's not perfect. Definitely feels like a first time director's outing. I didn't think the acting was super great across the board. Um, but yeah, there's some people who are just like, I don't know. The lead character I think is a little bit of a hit. Jonathan Majors is the only one. He's great. Yeah. Who's great. But yeah, a lot of other folks sort of feel like Amateurs. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Exactly. But, you know, again, I think the movie, like I said, 
very powerful. And I thought about it yeah. for days, which um, definitely says something. I think it really, I mean, if I had seen this movie before uh, this podcast, I for sure would have put it in a, in a list um, on my set. If you had it, I think this is a, a very uh, San Francisco film top to bottom. I'm so glad you liked it. Um, and yeah, even that last image, right. That Jonathan Majors and Donald Glover, they are in their home. Yeah, and that right. home may not be a beautiful, ornate home mm -hmm. with a witch hat and all of that, right. but it's 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 still a home. Versus when Jonathan Majors goes to the city to look at the the coveted home, mm -hmm. and it's all dressed up now, and people are viewing it. It's beautiful, but it looks totally soulless. Exactly. You know, it looks like a house from the pages of a magazine. It doesn't look like a home at all. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, you have Jimmy Fails, who's he's not literally, you know, in the bay uh, on the in the <laughs> boat, but here's somebody who couldn't really come to terms with that central idea that home is where your people are mm -hmm. and he's now in choppy waters mm -hmm. and he'll have to go through that journey mm -hmm. to figure out what does home actually mean exactly Hopefully he comes back mm -hmm. or or maybe maybe not maybe he goes somewhere else so yeah. i kind of love that melancholy note too that is not tied in a neat bow that oh no. suddenly you know jimmy fails has overcome all of these this kind of love hate thing that he's been living with he has to go and deal with that mm -hmm. uh and i think that's what the movie ends on no i totally agree it's a it's a great film i recommend people definitely check it out all right so with that what's your number two alex so my number two is dirty harry from 1971 this is a film directed by don siegel starring clint eastwood andrew robinson the plot summary is when a madman calling himself the Scorpio Killer menaces the city, tough as nails San Francisco police inspector Dirty Harry Callahan is assigned to track down and ferret out the crazed psychopath. So this film um, is on the list for me for, for a lot of different reasons. I think um, a couple aesthetic things. The, the film is just a great uh, snapshot of san francisco in the 70s uh from the opening shot of the killer actually assassinating someone in a pool you see these just beautiful pictures of or shots of downtown um dirty harry chases the the killer all around the city there's a lot of great car shots um mm -hmm. running down the street so you see the city uh and i think in ways that few other films kind of portray san francisco and another interesting note on san francisco too i do feel like the city is um kind of uh, trapped in the 70s in a way, like the film, the city looks a lot similar than it did like 30 years. Not that I was alive in the 70s or there in the 70s. But every time I go, I, I just feel like the city has, uh, looks very similar to what, it, there's not a lot of, you know, buildings torn down, new buildings put up. Um, the neighborhoods still feel and look a lot as they do even in, in Dirty Harry. Yeah, there's been, you know, some changes around Embarcadero and things, but um, unlike some other cities that have done a lot of uh, major sort of facelifts, um, from New York to LA uh, to Boston, um, Chicago over the years. For some reason, San Francisco to me has always felt like going back in time a little bit to the 70s. So I think that this film captures SF in the 70s, and that's where I still feel like that a lot. Um, for some reason, too, I associate the 
the the crime genre to San Francisco. There's so many great classic <laughs> crime films, um, detective films that take place in the city. Um, and I think I just had to then put one of those uh, one of those films uh, on the list here. But in terms of uh, in terms of themes, I think for me, um, San Francisco embodied by like Dirty Dirty Harry's character in this film is definitely a city that um, does its own thing. And I think, you know, Milk kind of demonstrated that a little bit too. Like they, um, uh, people in that city sort of felt they, they wanted to push for things that other people in the country weren't ready for. There is still this aesthetic or feeling to me uh, of this like Wild West nature of San Francisco for better and for worse. I mean, I think that's where you get a lot of people that want to go there to, um, you know, innovate and, and start businesses um, yeah, that's also in the Valley too, a little bit South, but even in San Francisco, especially now you see a lot of that because there's still like, you know, this idea of, uh, you can do your own thing more so than in other places. I just get that sense, uh, from San Francisco again, for better or for worse. Um, and I think Harry Callahan very much is like, a sheriff in an old West town with few rules. Like he doesn't <laughs> follow his rules at all. He's always pushing back against, you know, his, uh, his inspector. I mean, this movie basically, I think set the template for the renegade cop, which is a whole genre of crime films that really originated mm-hmm. with, with Harry and, and uh, Clint Eastwood's portrayal in this film. Um, and I think that sort of do your own thing. Don't follow the rules because you kind of know what's best, which is a little bit of like a libertarian um, I guess, bent, I do feel in the city. And I think, again, Milk is one of those people who kind of did that. Um, but, you know, I think there's also some negatives of it, which definitely I think this film portrays that as well mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Harry bending the rules all over the place, um, even breaking some rules too, to to hunt this killer down. Um, and another thing I think this film is very interesting and something that actually I was struggling with when coming up with this list of films, uh, San Francisco, like I mentioned at the outset, to me, San Francisco is so much represented by the 60s summer of love hippie culture all these i think positive ideals that the hippies had back in 67 68 69 and there really are no films i could think of where that culture is a really represented and then b if it is represented it's always represented as a negative thing like there mm-hmm. there's nothing that really celebrates this again, part of the his- San Francisco's history that I've always really appreciated and, and thought was very special about the city. Um, and this film deals with that in a very like matter of fact way. The villain in this film is essentially a hippie. Like he yeah. has long hair, he's got the peace symbol on his belt um, and he's a psychopath. He's, he's someone who Harry has to put down in the same way that I think uh, the culture in America sort of were, were viewing the 60s version of San Francisco as this negative thing that needed to be snuffed out. And you know, not to get too much into the political side of things, but, you know, that definitely like 70s, 80s, ever since then, I think that we've culturally looked back on those moments as either something silly, like, oh, that was fun. We did that, but we were young and naive or, oh, we did that and we have to actually stop that. That was a bad thing. We have to punish it. And what this movie does is definitely says, no, like we're punishing this 60s version of San Francisco because it went too far. And now like Harry is the hero and uh, representing what I think uh, there was reactionary pushback to a lot of the things that uh, went on in the 60s. That again, I happen to um, always respected. And it, I was struggling to like, okay, what is the film then that is represents the hippie culture in San Francisco at the hate Ashbury heyday? And there really wasn't any. And this was one that showed that, but in a way where the film presented as a negative light, which again, I think a lot of people or culturally, at least that's how we view this as. And so I'm not condoning it. Like, I think this actually is, is an interesting 
uh, point that I always bring up to people too when I'm discussing films is that a film can have a politics that you don't agree with, but if the film is great, you can still love the film. I mean, this is one yeah. of my favorite films. I love the franchise. I love Carrie Callahan as one of my favorite on-screen characters in any movie. But no, do I, would I vote for him for president? Do I agree with the political message of the film? No, I don't. But that doesn't stop me from liking the film. There's plenty of films that I'm like, oh, I love the message of this movie, but it sucks. I don't like the film. Uh, so I think this is just a just a reminder of that too out there that you could definitely can grow to like films. Um, and look, I think too uh, beyond that, uh, there's the you know unsettling nature of the ending. You know, much actually like we were just talking about with Last Black Man in San Francisco, that ending is ambiguous. You don't really know what that yeah. character is going to be doing now. Does he does he find his home? And in this film, yes, Harry gets the bad guy in his own way and actually kills him. But he throws his uh, police badge into the, into the river at the end because he hates the system that he works for, too. They're both his enemy. And you don't really know at the end of the film, like, yeah, he won. But did he really win? He seems miserable. He's not happy that he finally got this killer. And that feeling of unsettledness and ambiguity is something I associate with that city like it's still always trying to figure itself out now i don't see this in a negative way uh, but it's not like an easy city to immediately like gronk and get oh i get san francisco i, I can get it no there's consistent layers you peel back and there's more things you know even in the short time that i live there in three months i mean my entire i uh, was open to a lot of parts of the city and feelings and vibes that i was not expecting um and i think that the ending of this film much like the last film that that you put on your list i think really touched on that ambiguity um, and look beyond that, I, I, like I said, I do really just love this film. I mean, Clint Eastwood is one of my favorite actors of all time. And this just on-screen persona here. I mean, you can't get anything cooler than the swagger of him coming out of that diner, still eating the hot dog. There's a, there's a robbery happening. You know, he calls it in, but he's like, you know what? I got to go deal with this. And he just, the way he pulls out his gun and just walks down the street before having his famous, like, you know, do you, do you feel lucky? Well, do you align? is just the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, I just am in awe of just how cool this guy is and how well, like, Don Siegel captured this character on screen. So, yeah, again, it's, I think, a lot of the the complications of the vibes that San Francisco gives off, I think this film does a good job of capturing, um, especially when it comes to that reaction against, you know, the, the hippie culture from the late 60s. Love the film. And the whole franchise, honestly. Every, every film, I think, in the franchise is, is great. Yeah, I had never seen this movie, always had wanted to. So I was I was glad that you put it on the list. Um yeah, he is what an interesting character. Oh There's yeah. No question about that. Yeah. Um I think watching this movie now for the first time, especially in in light of what's happened with, you know, George Floyd and all the police stuff and such is a very interesting mm-hmm. layer to it and I was you know, getting quite un- unsettled and flustered with all the stuff that he was doing. But I was happy to see that this movie was a little, you know, two steps ahead of that, a little bit, at least, you know, at least there's some consequences. Like he is, he is held accountable to mm-hmm. a degree, mm-hmm. um, even though the movie does, you know, reckon him as a hero. Exactly. Yeah, there's no, no it totally does. Two ways about that, you know, there's something, I found the score to be, very uh, a great score that i would listen to on its own mm-hmm. but in the movie the score is almost sort of like it's like a fun thriller kind mm-hmm. of score which is quite exciting while horrible things are happening which was quite kind of disorienting for me yeah. but maybe that is the point 
as I thought more about the movie and also, you know, a bit of a time capsule thing too, because he is the hero. So yes. when he's, you know, out and about doing his stuff, like the score is really sort of kicking in and, and, and all of it, which I know if this movie was made now, this movie would have a totally different tone to it. It would not yeah. be a thriller where he's the good guy. That said though, kind of what you were saying, the ambiguous ending part, and I know this thread has been sort of, worked on quite a bit in movies subsequent movies which is that the hero and the bad guy are actually mirror images of each other Mm -hmm. you see that a lot in movies right up to you know this year's batman movie but you know so i think this movie doesn't really get into that specifically but as an audience member you do see that that they how different are they actually in in many ways and I don't know the movie is aware. Of, I don't think the movie is aware of that. The movie really thinks that the hero is a hero. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the, that they are, they're both characters are breaking the rules to enact an agenda. And I think the yeah. movie's saying that's okay to break the rules to enact an agenda. We just disagree with this other agenda. We like right, our agenda. Exactly. We that like our movie, agenda. Yeah, we like our agenda, but it's fine to break the rules on that. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I, I agree. There's a, I don't think the movie is really aware of that, but it's, it's more about rule breaking and saying it's okay to break the rules as long as the agenda is something we want, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I will say though, like, yeah, you see a lot of San Francisco, the shots are amazing and such. I struggle to see how this movie would be like, how does San Francisco make this movie or, or the story? Uh, like this yeah. movie and the story would be, exactly what it is no matter where it was portrayed yeah see that's that's something i should have mentioned the outset too like when i look at my list i am thinking very much about needing to take place in san francisco and when originally the movie was i can't remember if it was the book if it was based on a book i I don't really recall but the original intent was the film take this place the film take place in new york Hmm. um and and i don't think again with this vibe that I get, especially in, in uh, California, but even more so in San Francisco about this, the renegade cop who breaks the rules and it's a positive thing. Um, I just feel like that in New York would have turned out to be like uh, like Serpico, right? As a cop film in New York right. about the cops breaking the rules of the bad guys and Serpico is the do-gooder who's trying to bring them down. Something about the setting in making this in San Francisco and then you couple that with the the hippie villain that would not have worked in the same way if it was in any other place, because it is trying to comment on we're literally like killing the, the hippie movement in the place that it was the, you know, uh, uh, highly associated with it. So I actually think that those thematic and then also um, aesthetic reasons where you really couldn't do Harry wouldn't take place in anywhere other than they actually never brought him anywhere else. I mean, in one of the movies, it goes to Carmel, like South of SF, Mm. um, but it's not like, oh, now Harry's in L.A. And what is he doing now? Like kind of they did with mm-hmm. Die Hard. They, you know, move John McClane mm-hmm. around to different places. I think, Harry, you just need to put an SF. But um, that's at least my take on it. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that the hippie part, especially, and maybe to a degree, the renegade part as well. I just think that a renegade person in, in the city here would probably stand for something else. Uh, yeah, given- no fair. And, you know, not what Harry stands for. Yeah. So that's the part that is is, is a little little bit of a dissonance there. Um, Mm -hmm. But regardless, uh, a very, very good, very nicely made film. Quite brutal, actually. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting this movie to be as sort of hard hitting in its, its, you know, in its its gruesome nature and, and all of that. So... 
And again, the scores uh, during those moments kind of was like, what is this? What is happening? Yeah. My head is spinning a little <laughs> bit. Like I thought this movie is supposed to be frothy and fun and thrillery, but really horrible things are happening. So I don't know how I'm supposed to feel here. Yeah, that that is interesting. The sequel actually gets even more into it's it's even more gruesome in that that oh, uh, wow. that respect in terms of the violence they portray. But yeah, I think it is interesting of like that dichotomy of horrible violence, but the movies treating it as something where the audience isn't going to be horrified that. Because they're almost like egging it on. Because that's what right. I think. It's like this bloodlust that the movie is um, assuming the audience is after. They want to see these people go down, yeah. and they and they know that horrible, you know, horrible things are happening everywhere. It's the seventies. It's you know, everyone is bad, but we want you know our bad person to fight against this bad person. And right. but yeah, it is. It is very. Uh, it's very hard hitting for sure, and and uh, yeah. pretty uh, on its nose about the the horrible like threatening the kids and all the assassinations and just the violence is not played for anything but straight gritty violence while at the same time you got this very uh you know action action sort of score um yeah yeah i think you hit the nail on the head like it, it's egging you on mm-hmm. which is why i mean you know i do take issue with that but Fair, at the same totally. time yeah you cannot not help and admire this character and the filmmaking and the story whether you agree with it, with it or not. So mm-hmm. I, I was very happy to watch it. Uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, glad you saw it. Actually, in fact, I, maybe I could have mentioned this too. Like when I moved to San Francisco um, in uh, to, for that internship for three months, that was actually the first time I sat down and just watched all the dirty Harry movies. Like when mm-hmm. I was there and it was really like, Oh wow. Like this, you know, this f- captures my moment. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually didn't come to these films till quite later in life myself but i definitely mm-hmm. just now they're like one of my favorite films of all time like the franchise mm-hmm. so definitely mm-hmm. check it out folks haven't seen them um okay so let's uh move on to your number two okay so my number two is little known film vertigo from 1958 directed by alfred hitchcock starring jimmy stewart kim novak barbara bell gettys Quick log line from IMDb, former San Francisco police detective juggles wrestling with his personal demons and becoming obsessed with the hauntingly beautiful woman he has been hired to trail who may be deeply disturbed. I mean, what can I say more about Vertigo that has not already been said? It's literally mm-hmm. the, the best ranked movie of the last hundred years, blah, 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 and so many you know critics lists and, and such. But for me personally, this movie is on my list because I think it. we've been dancing around this a little bit and I was holding myself to not use that word up till now, which is San Francisco is a very mysterious city. Yes. I think this captures the mystery of the city. And some of that has to do with, you know, just as topographical elements, the fog, uh, the narrow streets, uh, you know, the steep elevations that sort of come out of nowhere, a city that's very small, but at the same time feels kind of hard to navigate, even mm-hmm. if, if you were driving. It's actually easier to navigate on foot if you mm. have strong legs. I was going to say, but, yeah, if you want to hike up yeah. a hill. <laughs> so it's actually not in most cases. Yeah. Um, so I think this movie really captures that that mystery. Um, and I think you you see that in the city, but you see that in these characters as well, specifically Jimmy Stewart's character, who kind of is getting caught up in the web of Madeline, the girl, but also the city. There's like a literal sort of falling in the vertigo 
that is happening in front of your eyes. And then by the end of the movie, you as an audience member have also been hypnotized in the mystery and the web and the vertigo. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why this movie is just so... I feel like this movie cannot be pinned down because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is this movie. I know you and I actually watched it in 70 millimeters. And yeah. In oh, yeah. And like, oh, this movie is great. But I, I had not seen it before that time. So mm. I struggled that, oh, why is this movie, you know, ranked the way it's ranked? And I think after many, many more viewings, I get it because of that nature, that it's an elusive thing, which intentionally or unintentionally has been captured on celluloid somehow and it's a gift that'll just keep keep it'll just keep giving and i think Mm -hmm. that's that's to me is how i view san francisco as well through all the things that we've been talking about uh it's dichotomies the changing nature of the city how european the city feels but yet it's in the u.s Mm -hmm. most people living here are not from here uh, there's so many different things clashing, the art and big business. Even the guy, uh, Madeline's husband, who hires Jimmy Stewart, says that, oh, I miss the San Francisco from, you know, I know. <laughs> from way back when. So yeah. I always laugh at that because this theme of kind of missing, reminiscing on the past of San Francisco has been going on for centuries, probably. Yeah, so, no, that was and, very funny. Right. And and maybe that's true for all cities, but I think there's something specific about San Francisco in, in yeah. that sense, because it's just so mysterious and all, and very seductive, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very seductive city because it can charm the hell out of you because it feels very European. It feels, you know, with the beautiful Victorian homes and all these, uh, you know, the way it, it presents itself. But then it'll catch you by surprise on like a dark, you know, foggy day where it feels kind of melancholy it feels very lonely mm-hmm. um even in the way the light is captured in the movie in single scenes you see the light going from very bright to super super dull and that's not an error right uh, it is intentional and it is how the city is you know you can never prepare for what to wear in the city if you're visiting Definitely. from outside yeah because you just don't know what the day has in store for you so you know I'll leave it at that. I don't need to get into the mastery of Hitchcock and everything Mm -hmm. else. But this movie, whenever I think of San Francisco and whenever I think of sort of driving around and having kind of a, you know, a day for myself, this is the movie I think of. This is the score I put on uh, in my car or or if I'm walking around in that sort of mysterious melancholy mode. I think it just movie is just perfect in capturing that. Yeah, no, for sure. In terms of the, the mystery. I, I also associate that word a lot with San Francisco too. It's a mystery. It's an enigma. It's a paradox. All those things. And this movie is all those things too. Yeah. Um, Very it's, meta. It's, yeah. It's it's literally a mystery in the film. Yeah. But the film itself is also even after they you know reveal the plot twist with still like 30, 40 minutes left to go, the movie is still like okay, what is really then what is the movie about? Like you're still trying to unpack it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, like you had referenced, yeah, we saw this movie in 70 millimeter together. And I have been, I'm a huge Hitchcock fan. He's definitely one of my top, like two, three favorite directors of all time. Seen all of his films Same. multiple times. And, and this was the one film over the, the decades that I just never got. It was like, 
I would watch it and be like, I still don't get it. Like, why do people like this so much? Like it, it, it just was an unapproachable thing, like a white whale to me in terms of my, uh, <laughs> my film, film knowledge. But then it, when, once we finally saw that in that 70 millimeter, then I kind of clicked and I kind of got it. And I think too, San Francisco is, is a city that is, you know, the more, every time I go, it feels there's different things. Like I said, the layers to it and I feel differently about it. Uh, and it's always going to be changing. I think, I mean, I've kind of accepted the fact that I'm, I'm never going to really have like, okay, well, this is SF. I get it no. done. You know, it's going to be stay the same. Now, every time I go back, it'll be the same. I'll feel the same about it. No, it, it's, it changes much like, uh, much like this and film it's does. part of the mystery of the city. It's exactly. Makes it mysterious. That's constant change. Yeah. Yep. No, totally. And I think you're right about the aesthetics of this film. I mean, what a gorgeous, like, even yeah. if you were just to turn the the sound off and just look at this film, one of the mostly beautifully shot films. And I think a lot of that has to do though with San Francisco itself, mm-hmm. like the architecture, the way the, the, the Golden Gate Bridge is, the, that art gallery that they go to that's by uh, the uh, Presidio. Um, it's just like, it's so gorgeous. The streets as he's driving through, there's oh. so many shots in this film of POV shots of driving through the streets of San Francisco. That's my favorite thing. And there, it's just so beautiful. And, uh, and also, again, I feel like looks very similar to what it, other than the fashion styles and the cars, you could it drive through those streets similar. and it's the same as it is as yeah. now. So it's like, oh yeah, no, I, that, I, that does capture what it feels like for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Redwood, when they go to the Redwood forest, oh my God, just, and all these, this Stunning. Is, it's the physical beauty of the city is captured in this movie more so than any other film that is so far uh, uh, taken place in San Francisco. I mean, it, totally. it, uh, and natural and man-made. Exactly. You know? Totally and, both. And it shows the diversity of the city as well. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you're in the mission, it feels totally different, but then when you're at the Legion of Museum on Legion of Honor Museum and Presidio, that part feels totally different. And that's, oh, yeah. I feel that on a regular daily basis that it's a small city, but literally between a couple of streets and blocks, the entire mood of the place changes. Oh, totally. As you walk around and drive around, which oh. is just so mind boggling and mysterious, but also super fun. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, again, to compare cities, I guess, you know, you're in New York city, you go to central park, you know, you're in New York city that that fact never really leaves you. You just know you're in a park in the city you go to the Presidio and it's like, where am I? Like, yeah. I'm in a, I, I'm nowhere near where I just was. You do feel yeah. like you're entering in this whole other world. And it's something yeah. that's very unique to San Francisco, I find. And that's part of the, why the city is so great. Uh, and I enjoy it so much is because of that. Um, and I do think that is very unique to the city. And this film just captures that. I mean, again, when they go to the Redwoods, it's like this, they're on another planet. Like, how do they even get here in a car? Like, how, did, how, did this, <laughs> how, how is this even possible? But that's, you know, that's San Francisco. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I, I, I love this film. Um, and again, I, I can't, you, it's been analyzed to death. It's like you said, the number one film of all time on BFI's ranking, mm-hmm. um, at least currently. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, if anyone has not seen this film or honestly, if you've seen it, but hadn't really got it, keep giving it a try. It took me decades to appreciate it. And once it opens up to you, you'll love it. I think honestly, you know, not to make a pitch for San Francisco too, but I think, you'll just keep trying it. If, if it's something that doesn't rub you the right way, go again, you'll find something to love in it at some point. It's, it's just a mystery. It's a mystery. It's mysterious. It's mystery. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And also last thing I would say is performances. Those two, literally everybody, but there's a time when I sort of felt Kim Novak, 
maybe this is not a good performance maybe mm. it's a little bit too artificial but then the more i watched the movie i sort of realized like that is the point 100% like she yeah. all is such an artifice it, it, it's almost like an unreal alien really mm-hmm. who's like driving around doing whatever she's doing and of course the as the movie reveals and i won't give it away right, right like right. layers and meta-ness to that too that what is put on versus what's actually real and how is all this landing on jimmy stewart because yes. a lot of the movie is through from his lens and how much does he know himself versus how much of this is just a mystery to him even that's unclear you can keep playing with that yeah, I think we should move on to the next movie because <laughs> no, we can have a whole uh, Vertigo episode for sure. There's totally you know, we, we are entering a Vertigo ourselves. That's what happens. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, All right, what's your number one? Yeah, so my number one uh, to continue the theme of a mystery is Zodiac from 2007. This is a film <laughs> directed by David Fincher, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Chloe Sevigny, and actually a bunch of other people. It's a pretty stacked cast. The summary of the plot, between 1968 and 1983, a San Francisco cartoonist becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down the Zodiac Killer, an unidentified individual who terrorizes Northern California with a killing spree. Um, So I think a lot of the themes we just discussed in Vertigo about mystery, unease, um, paradoxes, are, are the reason why to me, like those things do all represent San Francisco. And to me, this film sums all that up um, very, very well, um, especially in the, in the sense that this is a real life case. The Zodiac killer is real. Actually the previous film I discussed, dirty Harry is a, a portrayal of this. I mean, they, the Scorpio killer is based on the Zodiac killer. They mm-hmm. Scorpio is fictional. And at the time the killer was still, um, you know, in the middle of their killing spree Zodiac. And they made, Dirty Harry about it. So there's actually kind of a connection between these two films in a way. Um, but this is a real life serial killer that is a case that has never been solved. And this movie, what I think does so brilliantly is capture the fact that a lot of times in life, you can obsess over something about trying to find the answer and there is no answer to it. You'll never find the answer. And that's uh, and how do you wrestle with that? How far do you take your obsession? How far do you take your curiosity to f- trying to solve something that honestly is unsolvable as is really like most of life is, you know, all the, un- you know, unanswered questions of life. I think kind of the point is you're never going to answer them. Mm-hmm. Um, and picking a, a killer and a case that took place over decades. So it's beautiful. All the trans, uh, the um, passage of time montages. Fincher does a lot of great things. It's a great sequence. We see the trans America building being made to show passages of time. Um, another brilliant scene of uh, just the screen is totally black. And there's just rate songs and it's like someone turning a radio dial and the songs are just um, changing through time, like the hits Mm -hmm. through the years to show passage of time. This movie takes place over a grand period of time with a real case that does never get solved. To this day, we don't still know who the the killer is. Um, And it shows the lengths that uh, this obsession goes with uh, impacting the lives of these characters who become so wrapped up in finding these answers. And for me, I think San Francisco, like I was saying in the, the earlier statement with Vertigo, is a city that I continue to travel to continue to enjoy and continue to try to unpack and try to solve. And I think at some point I just have to realize like, yeah, this city is going to, it's changes so often and there really is no one version of San Francisco. And that's part of what makes the city so special instead of trying to feel like I can nail it down, which is something that I try each time I go or even coming up with this list. I'm like, okay, what is really my, 
what do I feel about San Francisco and how can I nail that down in film? And you really can't because the city, you can't nail it down. I don't think uh, much in the same way that these characters uh, in this not characters, these, well, they're real life people, but these portrayals of them just become so obsessed with uh, trying to find an answer that you can't answer. And I, you know, I can't answer why San Francisco, I do love it um, and why it's such an interesting city and so unique. I mean, I, you just can't say, and I think going there and experiencing it, that's what you realize. And it is an unanswered question, uh, which is what I think this film does, uh, does so well, you know, not to mention again, like I said, with Dirty Harry, I have this, um, vision or impression of San Francisco being sort of uh, trapped in amber in the 70s in terms of how it looks. And this film is majority set in the 70s. And even when it goes through the 80s and then into the early 90s, this this fashions change a little bit, but like the city still looks the same. Yeah, they build the Transamerica building. So it's not entirely accurate, but the city still looks the same. And I think that is something that is so unique about the place as well. Like uh, the look of it really hasn't changed, even though so much else about the city has. So, um, and, you know, I think the film is totally brilliant. Like one of the best films released of the century easily. Uh, my favorite film by David Fincher is one of my favorite directors. I was blown away by this film when I first saw it. And each time I see it, I just am struck by the mastery of every aspect of this film. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but uh, yeah, this to me really sums up the look, the mood, the feeling I get from San Francisco and this admission that I have to just be like, look, I will, it will always be an enigma, but I think that what's makes the city so special and so unique that I can't nail it down and I'll, I'll never be able to, but Hey, that's, that's why, why, why I love it. <laughs> If it were up to you, Alex, it sounds like San Francisco for you is a city where people get killed. I was, yes. No, every single one of my movies <laughs> deal with murder and crime. Fascination that people yeah, getting shot, I don't know. brutally. It, I, I know. Doesn't what? sound like a fun place at all. I know. It's funny. After I put the list together, I looked at, oh, wait a second. These are all like crime, you know, movies based on real crimes, actually. And you can even say yeah. Dirty Harry's based on real crime. But so, yeah, maybe that's trying to say something that I don't know, <laughs> that, that I didn't realize subconsciously. <laughs> I just associate the city with crime. I, I don't know, but uh, that's fascinating. That's, that, it is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't know what this says about the city slash you, my friend. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, I haven't watched this movie only a couple of times. It's a long movie, but every time I watch it, it's it's an experience in itself. It's just brilliant in every department because that's just how Fincher is. Um, I whenever I watch this movie, though, I'm always I always think of because I know how many takes Fincher takes. I'm always doing the math in my head that this movie is so long, <laughs> and if each take each scene is like eighty takes at least, how long did it take? And what a brutal exercise this must have been to shoot this movie yeah um so i have to actively suppress that thought and in fact it took me a while to come around to fincher and really appreciate it and it's because of this movie because i would just get so caught up in that that this is like the antithesis of what movie making should be in my mind that mm. you sort of beat something down so to that degree that somehow it just becomes in i'm sure in his mind like natural but right it, to me to that sort of feels yeah. like the antithesis to you know spontaneity the kind of stuff that i respond to in film mm. with some with preparation of course like look at all of my people right like linklater woody allen mm -hmm. all these people are all about sort of sponta spontaneity that has been put on screen with a lot of homework and preparedness mm -hmm. so 
but over time as i've you know watched more and more of finch's movies I, i've come around to that and i've come around to how you know excited actors feel it's not for everybody for sure right, right. but there's a certain kind of actor who loves that and you know takes on that challenge head on so uh, it's also interesting to watch this movie i hadn't seen it in a while but Robert Downey Jr. essentially is Iron Man in this movie. It's the same. <laughs> it's like you know, one step before that is Iron Man, cocky guy, who's a bit of an outsider in this whole thing, doing his own thing, marching to his own drum beat. And I was like, oh, this probably was your trial run <laughs> right before the Iron Man movies happened. So yeah, that yeah, was it- sort of funny. Yeah, and succumbing to alcohol at the end of the film too, much like uh, famously Iron Man does in the comics. He's an alcoholic and struggles with that. And Downey Jr. did here too. Like his obsession drove him to to just alcoholism and drug addiction. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, what a brilliant movie! It's it's such a mood piece. You can just pick sections of the movie and just watch it and just kind of wallow in it. And and yeah, you're right. Like I think there's something about the mysterious quality of San Francisco which obviously lends itself to the actual murders. Like, I feel <laughs> Maybe, like this yeah. whole case would be <laughs> yeah. quite different if it were in, I don't know, New York City or in yes. a small town in Iowa or what have yeah. you. There's something about the city. And that, once again, is captured in the movie as well. I wish there was a, more, there was a shorter version of this movie, which, like, I keep thinking about this, that if there was an effortless less rehearsed and less beaten down version of the same story done by Fincher or maybe somebody else, what would that feel like? Because you see the work put in Mm -hmm. in this movie, Mm -hmm. which I admire and appreciate a lot. But at the same time, it's unfair to compare this with Vertigo. Vertigo feels just so Mm. effortless, even though you know a lot of work has gone into it, everything is intentional. The green dress is intentional. Oh, yeah. The trench coat is intentional. The gray pant jacket and skirt, all of it is intentional. But it just feels so effortless to me. This doesn't feel effortless. It's work that's on the screen. It's work for the audience as well. Uh, hmm. I'm happy to do it, but I always think <laughs> about that. It, yeah, interesting. It's just that you mentioned Hitchcock there too, who was famously like incredibly hard on his actors yeah. as well, and which I think is a theme of Vertigo. Actually, that I see that film as a version of Hitchcock, like Stewart's playing Hitchcock and how he deals with actors with talent yeah. with Novak. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that Fincher has uh, inherited like that Kubrickian filmmaking process of a thousand takes, per- like trying to get to perfection by wearing actors down. Uh, but yeah, some actors enjoy it. It's funny you mentioned trying to find a shorter version because I was going to say like I you know, saw the movie in theaters, but the director's cut that is even longer is the one that I think <laughs> is just such a much better film and the one that I go back to. I think it's like 15 or 20 minutes longer than mm-hmm. the theatrical version. So I even prefer an even longer version versus a shorter one. But yeah, uh, and it's yeah. not about the length, actually. I think it's I know, I know. About, it was just uh, funny you said that. The effortless nature of it. I think you, you, yeah. you see the work. And, you know, I, I appreciate the audacity of the director to say, I demand this work from you audience members as well to come and meet me where mm-hmm. I'm at. So I'm very happy to put in the work, but it's just a curious ex- thought, ex- thought exercise. No, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if there was a sort of a more spontaneous, effortless version of this movie, would it somehow capture something mm-hmm. else? Would it capture this undefinable mystery of the city in a different way versus mm-hmm. here? 
that's not what the movie is going after. It is going after the obsession of these people. Right, right, right. And, and how that drives, yeah. drives their, ruins their lives in a way, I mean, you, you can argue, but uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, Karan, why don't we move on to your number one? Maybe you can move us away from all the murder, mystery, and, uh, and death. What, what do we got? <laughs> what are we ending on? <laughs> I might have the perfect answer, actually. So okay. my number one is Mrs. Doubtfire from 1993, directed by Chris Columbus, starring, obviously, Robin Williams, Sally Fields, Pierce Brosnan. Quick MDB logline, after a bitter divorce, an actor disguises himself as a female housekeeper to spend time with his children held in custody by his former wife. So I put this movie as my number one because to me, this movie summarizes in my head all the aspects of San Francisco. The joy, the freedom, the loneliness, the mystery, all of it. Uh, And going back to even my childhood, I don't even know what San Francisco was, honestly, because I didn't grow up here. But there's something about their house and the streets and how steep they were suddenly, all of Mm -hmm. it, it always... I don't know. It, it it just sort of drew me in always. And I always was like, oh, one day, wouldn't it be cool to kind of be in this place? And lo and behold, this is where I ended up. So yeah. it, this movie has like a special place in my heart. Uh, obviously, at the center of it all is Robin Williams, you know, uh, a gigantic performance by him, a, a truly committed performance by him, which is just so brilliant in every aspect. Like mm-hmm. you can pull out sections of this movie and I, I feel like I probably know most of the movie by heart because I've seen it so many times, but you can pull out sections from the birthday party with the horse mm. to probably the most, one of the most incredible scenes to me shot in movie history where he's double dating at the dinner place no. at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To that, to you know, uh, him getting ready or him answering all the calls as different people when Sally Phil is looking for a nanny. Like yeah. all these segments are in themselves just so brilliant that they could be movies of their own. That's sort of the brilliance of this person. It still breaks my heart watching this movie that he's no longer with us. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's if if the fact that we have this. Death Boy Society mm-hmm. and Goodwill Hunting as a gift from him. Mm-hmm. Whenever I I miss him and think of him, that's that's where I go to. Uh, so anyway, that's enough on Robin Williams. But overall, I mean, I think this movie is it's such a jewel box, and you know you can meet it as you want it. This can be a fun romp where the gag is, oh, dude, dressed as a, as a lady. That's a song in the movie too, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Uh, and you can just be done with that or you can peel the layers and see the details of the heartbreak and the details of divorce and the impact that has on children and how thoughtfully and beautifully that's handled. Um, the the beauty and joy you see between Robin Williams and his gay brother and his partner mm-hmm. so devoted to create this whole thing for him and once again, only in San Francisco will this mm-hmm. happen, right? Like mm-hmm. you have these two uh, gay guys in a relationship and they probably make do like makeup and such on drag queens on the side. Like maybe that's what their job is. Right, And right. it's not 
you know, underlined over the head. It's just no. is. Yep. Which is, I, I always sort of that, I don't even know what being gay was at that age when I watched this movie, but something immediately brought a smile on my face when I mm-hmm. saw those two and the three of them doing, you know, make me, a, make me a match the song. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so adorable. Roof, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I, there's not much more to add, but it's just a joyous, deep, fun, funny, and a touching movie, a jewel box. And, you know, only Chris Columbus can do that. I think uh, there are not many people who can direct a movie like this. Is it a perfect movie? Are there, you know, flaws? Of course there are like, that's not the point of this movie. Uh, I would say it's perfect, but keep going. Okay, good. I, was, <laughs> I would make, I, was, I would make that argument that it's, I would, movie. I was bringing up some defense. Cause I was like, if you hate this movie, I'll be oh, very upset. So no, I was no, putting no. my defense guard oh, up. Okay. <laughs> to begin with, but I, yes. I agree. Yeah. It is perfect. Say it's um, perfect movie. Yeah. The children, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, everybody. And we've been talking about change in the dichotomy, even in this movie that's captured too. Mm-hmm. He's the artist. He's the free soul. Sally Field is, you know, corporate, has her life together. And the movie does a great job of not villainizing or vilifying anybody. You see both sides. And that's why this movie is sort of perfect to me. Because I think all of the movies we've we've touched on, they do take one side or the other. Yep, yep. This movie kind of meets in the middle. And what you said about Last Black Man uh, in San Francisco underlines that Homes could be broken, houses could be big or small, but really home is where your community is at, where Mm -hmm. your heart is at. And even though these two people don't end up together, there's so much heart there that they're going to be fine and they have a home, even though they live in different houses, Right. uh, which which is sort of what the movie ends on. So uh, I cry every time in that last final scenes, even though I know it's coming. Uh, Yeah. That's Mrs. Doubtfire, my number one. Yeah, I mean, I'll again. I, I, sorry, I jumped in on there. I just had to. I'll just, I, I wanted you to, 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 to just admit this is a perfect movie. I think this is, is a, per, a perfect film. I have loved this film ever since I was a kid when I first saw it. I've seen it dozens of times. Rewatching it because I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, like straight through. It just, it's so. I mean, echoing what you said about Ron Williams, I think not only is this an incredible performance and maybe his best on film, maybe, but it's a performance that nobody else could have played this role. I mean, Robin Williams his whole comedic career and persona was different voices, different characters. And he does that in this movie to serve the story. It's not like, Mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to cast what project can we create around this comedian's persona, which is typically what happens when you have a movie that is, a uh, vehicle for a stand-up comedy star. I mean, Ron Williams is more at when this movie is made, he'd already made films and um, done TV, but uh, they captured what makes Robin Williams, Robin Williams perfectly. And it feels so natural. No one else could have played this role. Like you yeah. said, the different characters that he does, the conceit of the whole film, he's playing two characters. And that is his whole getup is different characters. I mean, maybe the only other role he's ever done that m- matches him this well would be Aladdin, the genie in Aladdin. Mm-hmm. probably it those those are the most ron williams performance we'll ever get but i think this takes over because it has that but it also has the depth of dead boy society in yes some of the true more serious movies so you get yeah. the full spectrum of him mm-hmm. yeah no I, I mean i think one of the best scenes in the film um is at the end in the court yeah he's making that speech about wanting his oh. kids and it's it's just incredible um because you it really i mean i'm not a parent 
Um, so I can't, I'm speaking to somebody who's not a parent, but I think that scene at the end just captures what it's like to love your children in a way that mm -hmm. I don't think any movie has really at least impacted as somebody who's not a parent has, yeah. has felt like, wow, that must be what that's like when he says, yeah. you know, I will do anything for my kids. Nothing will stand in the way. I, yeah. I acted like a total fool and did something that was illegal and lied to everyone, but I did it because I just love my kids so much and you yeah. can never take them away from me. And that's so powerful. And he delivers that in such just an incredible it's just a highlight of the film. Um, and totally. then to not stick on the serious pieces too, you know, again, as someone who parents, you know, I'm not a child of divorce, um, but this movie, even when I was a child, I was like, wow, this is treating divorce in such a serious way, but realistic mm -hmm. way. Like neither side is a villain. You're sympathetic mm -hmm. to both care, like both of these people, you get why they fell in love. You get why it worked. You get why it doesn't work and why it's just not going to work. And it's a movie where the plot of it is not like the parent trap where the kids are trying to get the parents back together or he's not impersonate. He's not making up Mrs. Doubtfire to win his wife back. No, you know, it's not about that. And I think that is it's about I, love for the kids, the kids. And I think that is what makes sides. what makes this movie one of the best movies um, about divorce, I think, even yeah. more so than some movies where that's what the movie's about. I think yeah. just the way that it treats that um, and the motivation of the characters is just so, so great. But yeah, the movie, I don't, I don't want to talk too much just about the serious things about the film. It's it's so funny. And getting back to the San Francisco piece of it too. Um, yeah, I mean, I saw this movie as a kid before I ever went to San Francisco. Uh, it looked like a magical place. It does capture some of the magic of, of the city uh, with the architecture, with that house especially is iconic. Mm -hmm. um, it's a house that, you know, you wouldn't really see anywhere else uh, in terms no. of the style and the hill and all that kind of stuff um but yeah the message of the film like you touched on is they are a family at the end even though it's non-traditional they're not married but they're still making it work and the way they treated uh, his brother harvey firestein and his his boyfriend it's just yeah like these people in a relationship we're not going to hang a lantern on it we're not going to make it a comedic bit it's not like funny that these guys are in a couple it's like no they're just in a couple and that's just what it is, is. And, and they can still do funny things uh, but it's not at the, it's not because they're they're gay. It's not because they're in a couple. Um, and I think that again goes back to San Francisco, where you know I do think of it as a place where you can be yourself, and mm -hmm. all forms of love and families are accepted there. And that's just something that I feel. And I think this movie just brilliantly captures that across the board. And I mean, I would have put this on my list if you already didn't. Uh, I just yes. just gonna say because this is like the first movie that comes to mind. Same. Movies in San Francisco. It's like oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, of course. Um, and just so it's just, yeah, it's so funny. I cannot, a perfect film. I can't speak more Insanely highly. Insanely rewatchable. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah. good. I don't know. I think I watch it every year, probably. If not more oh, yeah. than once a year. It's in its, its entirety. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen bits and pieces of it over the years. Like I hadn't sat down and watched the whole thing in a row in a couple of years. And I was just like, wow, this still is just like, what a classic. Um, and maybe that's a, uh, it's a good transition then into the films that didn't make the list. Cause I was going to say like, for me, definitely Mrs. Doubtfire, definitely Vertigo. We, we, you know, you covered those already. Uh, the Dirty Harry uh, sequel, the enforcer uh, bullet, another crime movie. Um, mm -hmm. And then the rock and the game um, the rock. We already talked about another episode or else I would have put that in here too. Right. Um, and then another Fincher movie. So uh, what, uh, what about you? Any films? Gosh, uh, didn't all make it? dark movies. Horrible. I don't know. I don't, I just, I can't explain. I don't know. That just, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's maybe that's another. I have all analyzing. fun movies. Huh. I have Sister Act. Uh, which that's is, in San Francisco. I yeah, in, the oh, church really? that they shoot in oh. is literally two blocks away from where I live. No way! I love that film. Yeah. I haven't seen that in decades. Um, I see that very I should, often too. I should rewatch uh, that. It's so funny. Please do. Uh, Blue Jasmine, uh, also a great San Francisco movie, and wrestles with a lot of the, the themes that we've been talking about. 
So yeah, those were my top two. Cool. Hopefully everyone enjoyed the uh, the episode today. Uh, learned a lot about the city. If you haven't been to San Francisco, um, hopefully my darker films didn't scare you off from it. It's a great place. Both of us really love it. Uh, <laughs> make sure to uh, uh, follow us on all your uh, your podcast platform of choice. Uh, also follow our social uh, Instagram. Uh, we, we do some things there. And uh, make sure to tell your friends, anyone you know in San Francisco, send them this, uh, this episode and uh, just kind of get their take of what, what they think. And uh, yeah, just uh, if you go, just make sure to wear flowers in your hair, as they say in the song. So, uh, oh, I do love that song. Great song. One of my favorites. Uh, all right. Until next time. See you all soon. <laughs> <laughs>